I'm in the middle of a series looking at the uh, Ten Commandments, but we're trying to look at the Ten Commandments from a little different perspective. If you remember, we started by looking at Mark chapter 12, 28 through 31. Let me read those to you. And one of the scribes came and heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, this is Jesus Christ, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered the scribe, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And if you remember, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and we've been taking them in pairs, two at a time. And we notice that the first four are basically God-oriented commandments. And what we tried to do is we tried to look at it from the perspective of um, the idols and the images and using God's name in vain in the holy day. What if we tried to obey motivated by love as opposed to be motivated by uh, a punishment or, or fear or a bribe or a reward? What if we did it out of love? And I think that's what's going on here when we look at this, because Jesus said to this scribe, thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. I don't think uh, your rich relationship with the Lord will come through fearing by obeying. And I don't think become through rewarding or looking for treats or uh, positive consequences. I think it comes that rich relationship with the Lord comes when you love him and that's why you obey so we looked at those and we looked at the first four commandments. And now it's time to move to the second half of the Ten Commandments. And those are the ones that are man-oriented. Now, today I'm going to look at honoring parents and thou shall not kill. And I want to look at those two commandments. I'm going to look at it from the same perspective. Now, the Bible does say when you honor your parents, you're promised quality and quantity of life. And that's okay to obey because of that, but that's based on reward, and you're not going to have that rich relationship with them. It'll be, what can I get out of my parents? Or the other extreme would be, you know, the punishment. My dad was going to come down hard on me if I don't do this, so I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do it just because I love him. I'm not diving into these commandments as deep as they could be. I'm really trying to give the overview, trying to look at the motive behind obedience. It's really hard to look at these commandments because I really wanted to look at honoring parents and adultery because I was going to call this message parents and spouses. I just thought those things would fit really well, well together. But I was looking at adultery. I couldn't help but thinking about adultery. You know what adultery is? It's nothing more than stealing. It's stealing another man's wife. And what's adultery? It's actually breaking the covenant of marriage. So, you know, I, that, that would work. So they all wrap up and are intertwined and it's hard to just pick two. So I figured, well, the Lord's smarter than I, so I'm going to go in the order that he gave them to me. So we're going to look at those two commandments about honoring parents and thou shall not kill. Now, just to show you that uh, we are consistent with scripture, here's a passage we've been referring to often. This is Romans 13, 8 through 10. Uh, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So basically, the way you love your neighbors, you don't steal from them. You don't lie to them. You don't 
covet their things. That's, that's how you love your neighbor. Uh, finally, verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, loving one another. Let's go to commandment number five. And the fifth commandment says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord giveth thee. I want to give you a few definitions, first of all. When you look at a few definitions, the word obeys usually speaks to behavior. That is compliance with rules, commands, and preferences. But honor is a whole different animal. Honor speaks to attitude and behavior, but it's talking about respect and speaking highly of. You know, here's, here's obedience with honor. You can obey your parents, but you can roll your eyes. And the Old Testament has much to say about that. That's obeying, but that's not doing it out of love. That's doing it because you don't want to get in trouble or you want to get the car keys for the weekend. Or you can honor and obey your parents, but you can grumble and mumble and curse under your breath as you're doing it. That's not love. Or you can do it, and here's my favorite, the sarcasm. That's not loving your parents. So there's a way you can obey your parents, but when you're doing those things, and, these, and, and Proverbs is full of these kind of warnings, that this is not obeying your parents in love. And then finally, the definition of love, which I like, I got that one out of 1 John 3.18. Love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that also includes the attitude also. So there's a brief overview of what that is. Which parent? When I look at scripture, that includes children of all ages. Doesn't mean you're off the hook when you turn 30. You still have to honor your parents. It doesn't mean you're off the hook when you're in your 60s. You still have to honor your parents. It doesn't matter if it is a biological parent, a step-parent, an adopted parent, a foster parent, or an in-law. You're supposed, to obey, you're supposed to honor them all. A lot of people think when they get married, they say, okay, I don't have to honor my parents anymore. Wrong. You just went from two to four. You don't get off the hook. Now you got four to honor. Notice the consequences of not honoring your parents. God makes this a very serious matter. Now, there is a in the Lord qualifier. If dad says rob a bank, you don't obey him. Okay, that's anytime you see that in Ephesians and Colossians and you see those commands there about being subject to parents or obeying parents, it always says in the Lord or is it fit in the Lord? You do not obey your parents when he's asking you, he or she is asking you to do something contrary to God's will. But notice what it says here in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Did you know dishonoring parents is a sign of perilous times? That sounds like it's pretty serious stuff. In Isaiah 3, 4, and 5, did you know when children aren't obeying it, that's actually a judgment on a nation? Okay, America, you are not obeying me anymore. I know I'm going to make your children not obey you anymore. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, it is an offense worthy of capital punishment. And then finally in Matthew 5, 3 and 4, Jesus preached boldly against dishonoring parents. So it's one in New Testament, it's an Old Testament. I want to change this from the obedience to the love. Now, I want to look at this word honor and I want to look at some synonyms. In Leviticus 9, 3, Fear, in terms of reverential awe, is a synonym to loving the, your parents. In Leviticus 19.15, respecting your parents is a synonym. synonym. 19.32, it says, rise up before. 
In Romans 12, 10, it talks about preferring your parents. In 1 Timothy 5, it says, support your parents. Support them. In this context here is financially. We're supposed to be taking care of our parents when we can. And then finally, in Deuteronomy 26, 19, it says, elevate your parents. Brag on your parents. That's how you honor them. There are three levels. There are honoring your parents, doing all these things that you see scripture. There's dishonoring of doing just the opposite. And there's a middle ground of just keeping your mouth shut. When you keep your mouth shut, I'm not saying anything bad, but you're not saying anything good. And it is a positively stated commandment, honor your parents. So quietness is still breaking the commandment. Here are some subtle nuances between obedience and disobedience. When you honor parents, you're cheerful, you're eager, you pray for them, you meet unspoken needs. What does that sound like? What's our most important one another? Consider. You actually got to get off the ring in the gerbil cage and stop and look and study them for a while to figure out what they need. And you jump and you fulfill a need before they ask you for it. That's what love is, and that's how you honor your parents. You compliment them, and you are open with them. To dishonor is to ignore them, is to resist them, is to meet minimum expectations, is to make fun of, and to be short with. That's how you dishonor your parents. How about inward and outward? Inward is the love. Outward is the fear and the reward. Inward, it's your attitude. It's just not with eye service. There's integrity in there. You're doing it even when they're not looking. And it's being love motivated. The outward is compliance and including preferences and timeliness. I really don't like watching XYZ. But I know my mom does. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut when she turns on that old movie, sappy movie. But I want to go another step here. You know, Scripture says, fathers provoke not your children. This is the way we can provoke our children. We can show favoritism. That's going to upset children every single time. Matter of fact, when you do any of these things, you're not loving your children. So I want to show a balance both here. When you are too lax, you know what? I find out children are frustrated when you're too lax. But when the rules are too demanding, you can frustrate and provoke children that way. Somewhere in there, there's a sweet spot. And I got news for you. Different children have different sweet spots. Brother Dolph, how do I do it? I don't know. I don't know your child well enough. If the punishment is too severe, you can provoke your children. When you crush a spirit instead of breaking it. You want to break a spirit, but you don't want to crush the spirit. And the last one is, is when everything that comes out of your mouth is negative. Never a positive. I remember when I was um, teaching class, this was years ago, one of the first times I ever taught, and it was in a public school, probably close to 20 years. And they, write, had, they had me write up at the, the course description that I passed out to all the parents on parent-teacher night before school started. They said, write your personal philosophy. Now, this is my philosophy. It doesn't mean I always do it, but this is what I'm striving to do it. I said, when you look at an atom, there's got to be a proper balance of positive and negative. If it's all protons, the atom's going to work, not going to work. If it's all electrons, the atom's not going to work. It's got to have both. When you look at batteries, 
If you have two positive ends, it's not going to work. If you have two negative ends, it's not going to work. It's got to have positive and negative. And when you look at children, it's got to be a balance of positive and negative. If it's all positive, it's not going to work if it's all negative. No negative reinforcement is dangerous. All negative reinforcement is dangerous. That's the way we provoke our children. So we want to have our children and we want to present them, but it could be possible it's not happening because we are provoking them. So we have to be on guard too. I got a case study I want to look at, and I looked at the toughest father-son relationship I can find. And that's a relationship between Jonathan and his father, King Saul. King Saul was a mess. But you know what? Jonathan was asked to do some very unbiblical things. But even in that process, he was able to honor his father. Let's see how he did that. This is the most extreme case. And you, I could never do that to my dad. You didn't have King Saul as your father. And if Jonathan could do it with King Saul, you can do it with your father or your mother because I don't think anybody in here is to the level of King Saul. If, if you remember, King Saul was paranoid. He was um, melancholy. He was just a mess. And he was jealous of David because David was this good-looking, good warrior, wise man. God was blessing him and everything he touched just turned to gold. And King Saul is just scared. And he wanted to take him out. He wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, he tried to kill him on eight occasions. Notice what happens during this process is King Saul's trying to kill David. And here's poor Jonathan. He wants to honor his father, but at the same time, he can't let his dad get away with killing David because David's a good man. And we're going to look at a couple instances this first reference is in 1 Samuel 19, and I'm going to read 1 through 6. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and commune with my father and thee, and what I see I will tell thee. Is that an obedient son? No. Is he obeying his dad? The answer is no. He's asking him to do something that's ungodly. But notice how he honors his father. The first thing he does is he warns David, but he's not done. And Jonathan spake good of David unto his Saul, his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee, word, very good. And he did put his life in his hand, and he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought great salvation for Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood, and slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and swear, Saul sware, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. He disobeyed his father, but he honored his father. Do you see the way he interacted with him? He said, Dad, this is flat out wrong, and it's going to cost you your kingdom if you go this way, do this unrighteous thing. Dad, you got to stop. Well, in this case, he stopped, no, we found out Saul's word doesn't mean much. But in this particular case, it seems like he abated the wrong. And this was a way to disobey, but also honor. The next account is 1 Samuel 20, 11 through 13. 
And Jonathan said unto David, Come, and let us go out into the field. And they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about the morrow at any time, or the third day, or behold, it will, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee. And the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. So here's a case. This is beyond, and Saul's already changed his mind, and he wants to kill him again. And, and, and Jonathan is up on this, and he said, David, don't come into town. You stay out here, and I'm going to go find out what dad's intentions are, and then I'll come back out. Is that obedience? The answer is no. Is it obedience to the Lord? The answer is yes. But notice the way Jonathan interacts with his dad. Now it's going to escalate. We're going to see it escalate. Watch. This is in 2 Samuel 20, 27 through 34. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but I want to get the context. Jonathan's going to get mad, but he's going to honor his father. Watch. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, and David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not to the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday or today? So Saul's sitting there, and he wants to kill him. And he's having these great big banquets, and David's a no-show. And he goes to his son Jonathan, where is he? And you know what Jonathan's going to do? He's going to lie. He's going to lie to his dad. Now, please, young people, don't walk away saying, Pastor Dolph says it's okay to lie to my parents. You know, if they got murder in their eyes, yeah, it's okay to lie to your parents to save the person they want to murder. But who ate the cookie? No, don't lie about who ate the cookie. Uh, let's see where I'm at. Verse 28. And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in this city. My brother, he hath uh, commanded me to be there. And now, if I found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not again to the king's table. And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. I mean, he had, he had rage in his eye. He had blood in his eyes. So I'm going to skip down to verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew it was determined that his father was to slay David. He chunked a javelin at Jonathan. And Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Yep, here's a disobedient child, but notice the extremes to which this is happening. Now, there's one more passage I want you to understand. What Jonathan did is he sent David away and he said, David, you can't trust my dad anymore when it comes to your life. Please leave. But then what does Jonathan do? He goes back to his dad and serves him as a loyal soldier in the army. Wow. He's honoring his father the best he can given the circumstances. 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, And Jonathan's son Saul arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. And we read the rest of the account, and we find out he served him as a loyal soldier. 
So he was able to honor his father given that. Do you understand the loyal, the honor that Jonathan showed his father? They ended up even dying together in battle. That's how long he stayed with him. He protected him. Yes, as it is fit in the Lord, but even then you can still honor them. You don't roll your eyes. You don't disrespect them. You don't use sarcasm on them. If they're going to do something sinful and it's going to cost someone's life, then you say, Dad, I'm not doing it. You want me to rob the bank? You want me to drive the getaway car when you rob the bank? Dad, I'm not doing it. But I want you to cut the grass. Cut the grass. We're going to honor our parents. All right, so that's one count. Do you understand how much easier it is to do this if you're motivated by honor? Do you understand? If you're motivated by fear, Jonathan's long gone. If you're motivated by reward, Jonathan's long gone. What can possibly get Jonathan to honor his father? Even in this situation, there's only one thing. It's love. Love of the Lord and the love of his father. That's the only way it's going to happen. And that's what God demands of us. Let's go to the second commandment we want to look at today. That's commandment number six. Thou shall not kill. God created man in his image. So killing and murdering is destroying an image bearer. That's going to come up in a second. We're going to look at some people that actually committed murder. And we're going to see that, that God gets upset because what he's doing is not only is you killing a person, you're killing, killing an image bearer. Just try to give you an overview of the sin of killing. There's different kinds of murder. Just like, you know, in our courtrooms, there's first degree murder, second degree murder, all that kind of, all that manslaughter, all that kind of stuff. Well, the Bible's got that too. And there's different levels of punishment for those. For instance, in Deuteronomy 19.11, this is the perfect case of premeditated murder. If a man hate his brother and he lieth in wait and he kill him, you know what? That's premeditated murder. And there was capital punishment caused for that. Here's another step. In Exodus 21.29, this is what I call negligence. For instance, if you had an ox and you knew that ox was mean, and it tried to gore people before, and you didn't lock it up, God got angry at that, and the punishment was very severe. You say, but I didn't purpose to do it. I didn't do it in a fit of rage. I didn't plan to do it. I know, but you were negligent, and your negligent caused a death, an innocent death, and you're responsible for that, and there was harsh penalty for that. God holds that thing very accountable. But then I go to the next one in Deuteronomy 19.5. There is an accidental death. And the the situations that's described in this passage is, let's pretend a couple of us are out and and we're chopping some wood. There's a dead tree out there and we're chopping away. And I have this axe and I go to swing at it. And the axe head goes flying off the handle and it hits someone in the head and it kills them. I mean, that's like a freak accident. Did you know there are still consequences for that kind of death? It's not the same as a negligent. It's not the same as premeditated murder. But God holds the killing and taking of life very, very seriously. And there is consequences for that. That's why God values life. Now, all taking of life is not sinful. Capital punishment is not sinful. God has a law. And when capital punishment is done and they take out a serial killer, that is not murder. That is the fulfillment of a sentence. Now, I'm assuming there's a court and there was a defense given and it's beyond all reasonable doubt and all that's being taken care of. Did you know war 
is not if you get drafted and you're in the army and you're on the line and the far, all those soldiers, soldiers are rushing you, you're allowed to shoot. That is not murder. That's the taking of life, but that's not murder. That's not sinful. And then finally, in self-defense. And I don't care if it's a policeman or yourself. If someone comes in and they've got a gun and your wife and your children are, are, are a danger and you use lethal force to take care of, that is not sinful according to God's word. Not all taking of the life is sinful, but God is very, very seriously. So there's a couple exceptions there. There are some taking of life which God considers sinful, but our nation says it's not sinful. Euthanasia, that's when you inject a poison into someone that's got a deadly disease. Now that's different than from removing life support. I'm talking about putting the drug into a person that accelerates their death. That's sinful. The second thing is family planning. The aborting of an inconvenient or unwanted conception. That's the taking of life. How about ethnic cleansing? Y'all, there's been a lot of that in the past 100 years. In Europe, in Africa, in Russia, Asia, and somehow the people are convinced that, that it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's never okay. So let's talk about murder in the heart. Now, whenever there's a murder, I can't think of a case when murder ever started where it didn't start in the heart. Jealousy or, or some kind of emotion that's fueling that. Let's look at what the Lord said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. God is saying, I'm guilty of murder when I let my emotion rise to this level and I still haven't had the opportunity to execute the murder. Yes, I'm guilty of murder in God's eyes. You say, but you would never get convicted in a court of law. I'm not worried about a court of law here on earth. I'm worried about the court of law up in heaven. And when you let your emotions rise to that level, you're guilty of murder. That's what he says. Let's look at a couple examples. The first murder recorded in scripture is in Genesis 4. I want you to notice that it started in the heart. Let me read the passage. Genesis 4, 3 through 8. The first recorded murder, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel. He brought also he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Who's Cain mad at? Oh, he's mad at God. Who's Cain mad at? He's mad at God. But he can't kill God. So he looked for the best next thing. He looked for an image bearer. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou be not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall thy be, he be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. How would you nip that in the bud? To quote that famous theologian, Barney Fife. How would you nip that in the bud? I know, just never go in the field together. Sooner or later, they might casually bump into each other. The only thing that's going to fix that is love, right? Let's look at another murder. 
This is one of the very last Old Testament prophets that was slain. Let me read this account. It's in 2 Chronicles 24, starting at verse 20. It's talking about a king named Joash, and he's going to get angry at Zechariah. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper, because ye have forsaken the Lord, and he hath forsaken you? And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones. Who are these people mad at? God. But they couldn't kill God, so they got his image bearer. The king, the king in the courthouse of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness of Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. Here's another case where a murder was convicted and it started with the heart. And the heart, the, the anger in both cases we just looked at was not even directed towards the person that was slain. It was directed towards God. What if we go back to the very first lesson, thou shall have no other gods before me. And we found out one of the best cures for that is if we love God so much, we didn't have room for another idol in there. Same through as adultery we're going to get to. If we love our wives so much, there's not room for another woman in there because the love is so full. Well, if we can get to that point with our God, if we love God so much, that anger will not get there. That's what's going to circumvent the anger, which festers and goes to the, the killing, the murder. Okay, let's go back to King Saul. Remember King Saul wanted to kill David? He tried to kill him three times. I've got three accounts here. Now, I want you to notice, each time we read one of these accounts, David's going to get away. Even though he never commits the act of murder, even though Saul dies, long before David, he's going to be guilty of killing David. How can that be? Because God's looking at the heart. He allowed his emotions to elevate to such a, such a level that he was guilty of murder, even though he hadn't committed murder. And that's what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Reference number one, 1 Samuel 18, 11. And Saul cast the javelin... And he said, I will smite David even under the wall. And David avoided out of his presence twice. He chunked a javelin at David two times. And David ducked. You know what? Saul is guilty of murder. I know, but he missed. He's guilty of murder. David ran away. He's guilty of murder. Why? Because his heart was there. If we're going to tackle that murder case, we've got to tackle the heart. Second case, 1 Samuel 18, 25. Saul said, Thus saith to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul sought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He says, David, you're supposed to marry my daughter, and I want you to get a hundred foreskins. And when you come back with those hundred foreskins, you are worthy of marrying my daughter. He was not trying to prove David. He was trying to get David killed. He figured one out of those hundred Philistines was going to kill him. And you know what? Poor David. What a way to please your, please your father-in-law. But that's exactly what he did. And not only did he get the hundred, you know how many he got? He got 200. And he said, here, King Saul, here's your 200. Here's your 200. He's guilty of murder. But no Philistine ever harmed David. 
Saul is guilty of murder because his thoughts and his process of trying to take out David was that treacherous. He's guilty. Number three, 1 Samuel 19, 12. So finally, he got to marry his daughter, Michael. And they were in the room. And then finally, Saul had enough. And he sent some soldiers to their apartment. And they went to the apartment. But Michael caught wind of it, tied the bedsheets together, let David out through the bedroom in a rope and got away and put some pillows and stuff under the blankets. And when the soldiers come bursting in, sent by King Saul, they said, where's David? And Michael said, he's gone. Saul was guilty of murder. He ducked. Amen. He was delivered by God in the battle and he escaped through a window. Saul was killed, guilty of murder three times, even though he never killed anybody, quote unquote killed, but he's guilty of murder. That's the way God looks at the heart. And that's where we have to deal with the issue before it gets started. We've been looking at God's Ten Commandments. We understand in the New Testament, Jesus said, by loving, you keep the commandments. And that's the motive that we need to do it. When our motive is fear or reward, it is a shallow obedience. And it is not an enjoyment into the kingdom of heaven. It's through the motivation of love that we get there. And it's the motivation of love that we get that true fellowship with our parents and our brethren. It's got to be motivated by love. It can't be motivated by, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble if I get caught doing this. And, oh, no, I got to do this because if I want to get to this position, that's where I'm going to go. It's got to be motivated by love to understand and enjoy that fellowship. And if there's any other motive involved, it's superficial, it's immature, and it'll never get to the place where you enjoy a rich relationship with Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. So I pray that this will excite us to not just looking at the letter of the law, but of the spirit of the law. And that's what Matthew 5 is all about. It drove the Pharisees crazy because they didn't get it. They had the rules about their washings and the clothes they wore, and the order they put the clothes on, and when they went to the church, and when they went to the synagogue, and how they went to the synagogue, and how they prepared, and how they got home, and how often they went. It was all about those rituals. And Jesus Christ comes and says, it's not the rituals, it's the motive behind the rituals. And that's where we have to go in child training, but also in personal training. Just think about it with your relationship with your spouse. You know, they're smart. They can tell the difference. They know when you're doing something because they want something. And guys, women are better at it than you are. You can't fool them. It's got to be for the right reason. May the Lord bless us. Thank you.